you know, basically what they're saying is, you know, a lot of a lot of training platforms or programs out there really just focus on the and put a lot of emphasis on raising your FTP. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because it's a number that's kind of dangled in front of your face. And if you improve that, it makes you feel good. Hello, everyone. Welcome back for another episode of the Matchbox Podcast powered by Ignition Coach Co. I'm your host, Adam Saban, and today we're talking about gravel race specificity training, how to plan your weekly training volume, and whether it's better to focus on FTP or improving your lower threshold power. Today's show is also brought to you by Flow Formulas. We here at Ignition swear by the power of Flow Formulas and use it regularly for our training and racing nutrition. If you're trying to optimize your ride nutrition too, head over to flowformulas.com today and use the discount code Ignition Podcast 10 for 10% off your order. One more thing, Ignition will be hosting a five-day training camp held in Townsend, Tennessee with some of the best riding you can find in the U.S. this time of year. There are only a few spots left, so if you're interested, head over to ignitioncoachco.com now to claim your spot. And as always, if you like what you hear, please share this with your friends and leave us a five-star review. If you have any questions or feedback for the show, drop us an email at matchboxpod at gmail.com with the email title of Matchbox Podcast. All right, let's get into it. First question this week comes in from Brian. Brian says, looking at my data after races, my heart rate average is in my mid to upper tempo zone. My next training block, I have two intensity days planned per week, VO2 max and threshold training. Would I be better served replacing my threshold with tempo as a more race-specific type of interval or would threshold service both of these zones? For context, I'm a 52-year-old mid-pack finisher which is deceiving because I look like a high-level amateur, low-level pro in my cycling kit. Go figure, Brian. <laughs> going, going for that. Uh, nice. Look good, race good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would not go off. I would not base your intervals off of your heart rate. I would base them off of what your power file looks like during a race. Uh, just as an example, if you if you ever do a crit race – uh, or a cyclocross race for that matter, the efforts are very punchy and sharp. And, you know, it's 500 watts, zero watts, 500 watts, zero watts, 500 watts, zero watts. And then that's what the power looks like. If you look at the heart rate, however, it'll look like you were at threshold for the entire race. Um, so I guess what I'm getting at here is don't base, don't base your race specific uh, interval days on what your heart rate file looks like in a race, base them off of what your power file looks like in a race. And this guy didn't say what type of racing he's doing. So it's hard to say whether tempo actually is a race specific interval for him or not, because I don't don't know what type of racing he's doing. Yeah, my, um, I was thinking like the first question that popped in my head was what what has he already done or been doing? Because if he's already done a bunch of tempo, then doing more tempo is probably not the answer. Um, one of the things that you've always got to be thinking about with your training is, uh, darn, what's the word? Uh, not diversity, but basically diversity. Uh, uh, just mixing it up. Like you never want to get stuck in the one training zone. So even though like maybe you're doing a bunch of gravel races and every one of those gravel races, you're looking at what the heart rate that he described, which is like tempo to high tempo. 
that doesn't mean that you should always train tempo to high tempo because eventually your body's going to get adapted to that and you're going to plateau and you're going to stop seeing gains or very little gains. And so you want to always be throwing new things at your body. So that's why like a typical coaching pattern is three weeks on one week off is because then for three weeks, you can really focus in on one of those power zones or one of those different physiological levels. And then after you kind of fill up that bucket and recover, you can move on to something else. And that way your body's always kind of getting new stuff thrown at it. It doesn't have time to adapt. And that's, that's shown to be like, you're going to gain more fitness that way than just always training the same way. Yeah. And I, I would say too, we, you know, we've seen, we've seen this quite a bit where people will train a certain way, you know, train certain energy systems and then be kind of blown away at how good they can perform in some of these other effort levels. You know, so for instance here, if you're just doing threshold training and then you go out and do a race and you're hitting, you know, a ton of high tempo power, you know, or or mid tempo power for long durations. And you're like, I haven't done this in my training. Like how, how am I able to sustain this? Uh, You know, kind of goes back to his question of asking, you know, does training one energy system still affect the other energy systems? And the answer is yes. It just maybe not quite as significant as it would if you were focused on that specific energy system, you know? So, and that's where it's important to know which energy system do you need to elevate the most right now in your training. So that way you can focus on that, but knowing that you can still lean on the other energy systems and they're, they're still going to elevate and improve uh, as you're improving training, assuming that you're, you're introducing new stimulus into your training at all times. You know, you're not, you're not like you're saying plateauing. If you're hitting a plateau in one energy system and you're staying there and you're focused on that one energy system, everything else is likely going to plateau as well. Uh, I can't remember. I think it's Steven Seiler. I listened to a podcast, I think a fast talk podcast with him. And he said he doesn't like when people talk about energy systems, he says there's one energy system and that's your body. And he says everything you do kind of builds that energy system. Uh, like, I don't, sure. <laughs> that's what he said. And I, I, I see what he's yeah, That's saying. what we call them zones. Yeah. Yeah. I see yep. what he's saying. Um, and Dylan, I think, alluded to this to either a prior episode or a bonk growth episode about if you train one level or one energy system, all the systems get raised off of that. Um, and there, there's definitely some truth to that. I think of like, I think of all of my different training zones, like tempo, threshold, VO2, power intervals. I think of them all as like bars that are being raised, but as one raises, they're all kind of connected by spider webs. And so as you pull one up, they all kind of get lifted, but the, the one that you're focusing on gets lifted highest. Um, yeah, it's well, quite of, an analogy. Yeah, that's, I don't know. That's <laughs> just like what's always been in my head is like, yeah, I'm no, 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 up, you're, I'm filling no, up this I think bar that's, and that, and the other one, yeah, and that creates up. a good visual. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I kind of like that actually. And I kind of like it too, because I think this makes sense, but like, if you're I would say maybe it's tempo, more like, uh, they're, they're connected by like a chain, something yeah. that's not going to be elastic. I would, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that. And I would say that the only exception to that rule would probably be, um, your sprint power. In fact, your sprint power could actually decrease if you do a ton of uh, tempo and threshold work, and your volume yeah. is super high. Like if you if if you go from kind of 
I, I don't know, let's say you were go from like 10 hours a week of, uh, you know, semi-intense riding, and then you go to 20 hours a week and do a lot of threshold and tempo, uh, your sprint power might actually go down. Yeah, that's probably true. Great point. Great point. So, yeah, so to go back to uh, to his question, it, it depends on specifically what uh, what you need to train for, for what your racing is actually. Like Dylan said, you can't just go off of heart rate average, um, but also you need to know, you know, where, where, where else does, you know, where, where are you at in your training for those specific zones? Are you already maxed out with VO2 max and threshold zones to where you're not getting much out of those anymore? in which case you need to switch up the stimulus, you know, it, there needs to be a little bit more investigation there, but, uh, it is just good to know that most, in most cases, uh, your other zones will rise, uh, as you're focusing on one specific system or zone. Sorry, Drew. It's probably gonna be a pet peeve of yours after you've well, not me, your, of uh, Siler. Siler <laughs> just did not like it when people say energy yeah. systems. And I'm like, not yeah, but, but every every coach and every coaching podcast talks about, like energy systems is like a, a huge, like almost like a foundational thing that people talk about. Maybe, maybe Siler is going to be a he, pioneer into switching that. Yeah, he's also the guy that says the only power test that's viable is a sixty-minute power test on the trainer. And, See, uh, I think I think the difference with Siler is that he doesn't come from like so, some of these some of these concepts that uh, cycling coaches have come up with are they come from cycling and cycling training and Siler's almost coming at it more from a research perspective. Like he was never, he's not even a coach and he was never a, you know, I don't know, a professional bike racer or something. So he, he, every, whenever he's, he's talking about something, he's coming at it more from a research perspective, not maybe like a practical, uh, cycling training perspective. For sure. Yeah. Okay, so this next question here comes from Nate. Nate says, Hey, Matchbox, loving the podcast and training content. Five stars, keep up the great work. Nate, don't forget to go to your favorite podcast platform and actually give us five stars so we can get a bump. Uh, His question says, I'm looking to understand more about uh, how does one know when they need to make their long rides longer? For example, I train approximately nine hours per week, and my long ride is three hours with 90 minutes uh, 90 minute rides during weekdays. I'm targeting NUE marathon races with nine to 10 hour race times. And I find I struggle past six hours. Will making my long ride help my long rides longer help. My instinct is that the the consistency of the 90 minute rides are better in general, as there is less volatility to total training volume. If I'm unable to do a longer ride on the weekend due to family commitments, but for the sake of the discussion, Let's assume I could always get my nine hours of volume average and we're comparing the gains from a structure of four one-hour rides plus one five-hour ride versus four one-and-a-half-hour rides plus one three-hour ride. Which is better for fitness gains for marathon distance racing? Thanks again and looking f- and looking for a way to get back to having a coach. Hmm. Um, so... His question is basically, is it better to 
spread the volume more evenly throughout the week, or is it better to have one long ride and have shorter duration rides throughout the rest of the week? Yeah, yeah. So comparing apples to apples, we're saying either way you're getting, you know, this said athlete is getting nine hours of training in. So we're not training, we're not adjusting their overall training load. We're just adjusting the distribution. So I'm glad that he told us what he's training for. Uh, because I think that changes the answer to the question. Um, for example, if he was training for some shorter duration event like uh, cyclocross or crits or XC mountain biking, I think it might make more sense to have a little bit more of an even distribution of volume. But because he's training specifically for marathon mountain bike events that are going to last uh, five, six hours probably, uh, I would I would have one longer ride in there. Per week and do you do you think it should be the case where during one part of the season he you know or they distribute their training load more evenly and then they migrate to more specific which would be you know truncating the weekday rides and then extending the weekend ride or would you recommend that year round that would be the the better training approach is having the one longer ride included Um, yeah, as, as they get closer to race day, I actually think it probably makes more sense for the, for the long ride to get longer and for the week, uh, weekday rides to get shorter. Um, you could actually have very high quality interval sessions during the weekdays with shorter rides. And then, and then, you know, um, which hopefully should get you sharp for racing. And then that weekend long ride is also pretty specific to what you're doing too. So you are increasing specificity. Right. Yeah. And, and the reason I ask is because I think, you know, based on what they were describing here and probably the real case scenario for, for most individuals is having that one extra long ride on the weekend might not be sustainable year round, whether it's uh, training weather conditions or family commitments or uh, wanting to go to races on the weekends, you know, or other, other commitments, you know, there, there may be a period of time throughout the year where you, you can get more consistency out of having a, a more evenly distributed training load. But then, yeah, as you get close to race day and you can commit yourself a bit more to the training. I, I agree with that. I think the, you know, the closer to race day, you know, within two, three months, it's better to have those longer rides included. And that'll, that'll go a long ways with not just training the physical, but also gut training. You know, and extending your nutrition out from three to five hours is a is a big difference. And he's talking about going to nine to ten hours, so almost doubling that. So you really want to start pressure testing how well your nutrition plan is going to hold up for those longer races. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Drew? Anything to add? No, that sounded about it. Um yeah, I mean, yeah, specificity is a real thing. So, like Dylan said, like having those rides that are longer to make it more specific, uh, especially like the closer you get to the events that you're doing. Um, like maybe if life is real stressful, but the event is still a couple months away, like the long rides aren't going to be super important um, as far as like race specific specificity goes. Obviously, getting out for long rides is going to be good for base base fitness. Um, but like you almost maybe you almost think about this style of training like reverse periodization where 
if you know you can't sustain really long riding on the weekends year round, then I would save those long rides for actually closer to the event, which is kind of the reverse of what a normal training training uh, period would look like. Um, yeah, maybe just do shorter rides over the winter or something like that. I mean, there's plenty of athletes that do that in climates where it's super cold because riding six hours in like really frigid temperatures isn't exactly enjoyable. So they, they don't, you know, they don't ramp up their volume until the weather starts to turn around. And I think that's totally fine if you're doing these really long races over the summer or whatever. Right. Uh, cool. Let's, uh, let's hit one more here. Got some time. This next one comes from Byron. Uh, Byron says, hello, Adam and crew. Big thanks for all the advice. I've followed most of it. And during my current build phase, I'm back in PR territory before my next a race, the rad two questions. The first question is about pacing strategy. Can you use the lower threshold power as a normalized power target for a long, call it six plus hour race? I'm referring to the lower threshold power in exert platform. So we'll hit that one first. No. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, can you expand upon that? Uh, should be higher than that for a six hour race. I would think higher than that. So is that, are we talking LT one? Is that what it's kind of relating yeah, to? Yeah, For the people who don't use exert, please. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, basically you could use exert for this, but you don't have to use exert for this. We're, we're talking about LT one versus LT two, LT two being, uh, what people commonly refer to as FTP LT one being, you know, if you follow, uh, Steven Siler talks about this a ton, but the LT one is, the first ventilatory threshold, it's it's the point at which lactate levels start to rise, and then LT2 is when lactate levels spike. So um, I don't know if we have time to get into the you know all the nuances here, but that's a quick overview. And in in my experience for a five to six hour race, the normalized power will be higher than LT1. Not a ton higher, but a little bit higher. So just for some folks out there, Dylan, can you give a rough range for where someone could expect their LT1 to fall within relative to their FTP? Yeah, I mean, I would say that it's probably going to be around 70% of FTP. And of course, there's individual variation. So some it's lower, some it's higher. Okay. Um, and And so now let's move into... Uh, five, six hour long race, where would you expect your intensity factor or, uh, you know, normalized power to fall relative to FTP? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, this let's again, take, depends. let's take elevation, like altitude adjustments out of the equation here. Let's assume sure. sea level racing. I mean, this, this again, depends on how fit you are because the fitter you are, the higher your intensity factor can be for a five to six hour race. But if it, if it's a, if it's a really good uh, effort for me personally for a five to six hour race, and I've seen this with other athletes that I coach, um, I think in in the seventy percent is doable. And I think that if you're really fit, you could potentially have an IF of 0.8 or higher. Yeah, yeah. I think I think personally for me, what I've seen over the last two years of some, you know, longer five, six, seven hour races is typically if I'm on a good day, I'm in the like 0.8 to 0.84 range. Yeah. 
you know, which is a hard day. That's, that's, a, it's a long time to sustain that. Um, but I, I would definitely agree if, if you're LT1, you know, we, we don't know here, uh, what they don't give us what the lower power, uh, intensity factor is for them. But if it, you know, assuming it's somewhere in that 0.7 to 0.75 range, like you were talking, Dylan, then I agree. the other thing I'm too is, yeah, the other thing too, is for a lot of, a lot of five to six hour races, you're not just riding at a constant power output for five to six hours. There's climbs and descents and you should be doing, you should be doing a higher power output on the climbs than on the descents and the flats. That's actually the, the way that you want to have the highest average speed possible. Um, you need to, you need to actually go harder when the race is harder. So that either means uphill or a headwind or a, you know, a slow section that's slow because I don't know, the surface conditions are slower. This, the parts of the race that are slower, you actually want to put out a higher power in order to have the highest average speed at the end of the race. Right. Yeah. I was going to kind of say like, uh, just because your IF is 0.75 for these races doesn't mean you're just staring at your computer trying to hold a 0.75 IF. It's more like the way, at least the way I race is I race my bike and at the end of the day, whether the race is two hours, six hours, whatever it is, uh, the IF just ends up being what it is. Uh, you know what I mean? So well, like, and so yeah, well, so, it normally does fall between like 0. 0.75, 0. 0.8, whatever, but I'm not so like what I'll say, making intentional decisions of like, what, what I'll say about that is that there are some races where that's absolutely how you have to race if you want to get the best result. And those races usually have drafting is super important in those races. Yeah. Um, where you just, you have to, you just have to race on in instinct and staying with the group and you're not pacing yourself. That being said, there are absolutely races where pacing yourself appropriately is the fastest way from the starting line to the finishing line. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, I, you know, I've talked about this a lot, but Leadville is an, is a perfect example of that. I think 98% of people, if they do what you're talking about, Drew, at Leadville, <laughs> they will end up with a slower time at the end of the day than if they actually go in with a pacing strategy where they're going to be looking at their their power numbers during the race and not going over a certain number that they've chosen. Yeah, you're probably right. That's probably how. So if I do like, Leadville, that's how I would race it and just... <laughs> And honestly, it would yeah. be, and I would go right. slower. You'd probably pass me in the last 10 miles. Last 10, dude. <laughs> or I don't know how that race, but you'd probably pass me on one of the big climbs or whatever. Probably a halfway point. Yeah, probably. Uh, okay, so <clears throat> next part of the question. Shouldn't we focus on lower threshold power as opposed to FTP for longer events? I know what Dylan is going to say. The whole curve moves up and down with minimal changes. So it isn't relevant to focus on LTP, lower threshold power, uh, but in exerted, it is listed as part of your fitness. This is how LTP is calculated. Represents the lowest possible value for threshold power when all endurance energy reserves have been depleted. Calculation is lower threshold power is equal to threshold power times two and a, or minus two and a half times energy intensity or high intensity energy. 
while I don't really understand the physiology behind the calculation, it does seem to be more important uh, when considering training before the race and pacing during the race than a 20-minute FTP. Yeah, it's absolutely... Any advice, it's, in, any advice on how to increase uh, that LTP or lower threshold power? It is absolutely important to raise your lower threshold power. Um, I don't know what... I don't know what <laughs> Uh, this person thought I was going to say, um, if they thought I was going to say that FTP is the only thing that matters, but no, it's absolutely important to raise your lower threshold power. And, um, I mean, as far as how do you go about doing that? Well, I mean, hopefully if, if you're in this far deep that you're using exert and you're calling into the podcast, I think you already know what the answer is and it's what you're already doing. It's, it's, having the vast majority of your training time being uh, zone two and sprinkling in a little bit of intensity. I mean, that 80 to 90% of the time that you're riding your bike, that is exactly what you're doing. Yep. Yeah. I actually have a a question about the 80 whole 80, 20 approach to training, but we can answer his question first. No, I just answered. I, Let's get through it a little bit more though, because, you know, basically what they're saying is, you know, a lot of, a lot of training platforms or programs out there really just focus on the, and put a lot of emphasis on raising your FTP. Mm -hmm. And part of that is because it's a number that's kind of dangled in front of your face. And if you improve that, it makes you feel good, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone wants a bigger FTP so they can go tell their friends, Hey, my FTP increased. Uh, what, what you Absolutely. miss out on that equation is what is happening the rest with the, the rest of your energy zones. Are you, are you able to sustain a higher percentage of your FTP for longer? That's really what you want in a race. Unless you're doing a race where it's a 40K TT where FTP really matters and being able to have like a high FTP and hold that for you know an hour is important. That's one thing. But most of the time when you're racing that let's say, you know, let's assume the racing is going to be over an hour, the, the higher your percentage of your FTP that you can sustain for the, a longer duration is what's going to help get you to the finish line faster as, as you know, taking other variables out of the equation, like bike handling and pack riding and such like that. Um, and aerodynamics, um, you know, but so, so for instance, for me, uh, like personal anecdote here, my FTP has probably only increased 15 or so maybe 20 watts in the last couple years but my the percentage at which i can sustain ftp for a long period of time has increased substantially you know we're talking like 50 watts the you know the 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 percent the the wattage i can hold for two hours to six hours is probably 50 watts higher than it than it was three years ago and that's what's really important for me because i don't do any races where true FTP matters a whole lot. It's how much power can you do for the entire race that matters. So, uh, that's where I think it, I think it is important. And, and it is cool that a platform like exert is trying to estimate some of those values for you. Uh, you know, because sometimes it can be hard if you're just, if you're just basing all of your training off of FTP and you're not seeing an increase in FTP over time, it can be challenging to know whether or not that, you know, lower ventilate, you know, th- lower threshold one or, you know, first ventilatory threshold is actually improving. Um, and sometimes you just need race data for that. Uh, but it is cool that exerts trying to give us some insight into like how well your, your training is improving, 
that that lower threshold. All right, Drew, what's your question? All right, so I raced last weekend, go cross. So that's Saturday, Sunday, two intensity days, and we would count those as two intensity days, right? If we're talking about yeah, eighty twenty training or uh, polarized training, those would be two intensity days back to back. So the typical like cyclocross way of training is you race on the weekends and you get your midweek intensity session in to keep your legs sharp in between races. But if you do the math, that's, uh, that's three intensity days every seven days, which is way more than 80, 20. That's like, you're doing a, a lot more intensity than an 80, 20 training plan would prescribe. And I find myself thinking this because this week I did Saturday, Sunday intensity days. And then Wednesday I was doing intervals and I'm like, man, I've in the last five days of riding, three of those days have been intensity days and i'm thinking that's not 80 20 like so i guess what i'm asking is like should cyclocross racers who are racing twice every weekend just do endurance in between races or a a, a cyclocross racer would say well then you go into the next weekend maybe feeling a little flat because you didn't do any intensity for five days but that would be the perfect 80 20 you've got five days and two days that's like yeah. Yeah. Be- I mean, I think that it, it what you're talking about is a race period of yeah, of but training. The cycle cross season is like there's some dudes who will be racing like five or six weeks in a row. Yeah, and how are those dudes performing on the six week? Yeah, right. Exactly. I I no. <laughs> I think that's a bad way to to try and do it, but a lot of people try to do that. For sure. I mean, I know a lot of people try to do that. It's just, I mean, how are those, how are those racers performing on the sixth week? You know, right. How are those racers performing at the end of the season? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think you can absolutely race too much and, and you see it all the time from people who try to bite off more than they can chew. And there are multiple reasons why racing too much could actually make you slower. I mean, it could be the stress from racing. It could be, the volume has gone down. It could be that you're not doing 80, 20 anymore. It could be, it could be too much travel, too much travel stress is, is what's actually making you slower. It could be a whole list of different things. Right. But, um, you know, uh, during a race week, some of these rules for optimal training kind of go out the window so that you can have the best legs on race day. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, and, and that's why you see a lot of times, especially I mean, in the uh, elite field, maybe not so much in the you know the amateurs, but the, the the pros will typically have some form of volume camp halfway through the season, where they'll yeah. take a break, you know, two or three week break from from racing, and get back into some of their endurance training, because you you just start to lose that over time. Yeah, right. You know what I, I'll, I'll actually do. So when it's a race week for me, uh, I might have three intensity days in a week because if you count the openers that I do on Wednesday, then the openers I do on Friday and then the race day Saturday, that's actually three intensity days in one week. And the following week, I'll actually not do any intensity until the weekend. So I actually only have one intensity day the week after a race. Um, now I'm, usually doing longer gravel races where the recovery from those races can take a full week 
as opposed to a short cross race where you're good to go by Wednesday or Thursday. But, you know, I, I, at least for me, I kind of somewhat balance out having a heavy intensity week with having a light intensity week the week after. Yeah, for sure. And something that I was going to mention that, that maybe this is just a trap that I fall into, but when I think of like my workout or my intensity days, I'm usually trying to think like, Oh, I want to try to get the most out of myself on those days. Like I want, I want it to be a really hard workout and I want to get to the end of the workout pretty like taxed and stressed and, uh, Mm -hmm. optimal gains, I guess. And last week when you were here, Dylan, you were doing like two sets of 30 thirties and you said you might even only do one. And I'm like, bro, that's not even an intensity day. Like you're not gaining anything on that, but that that's like, you're not, the goal on that day wasn't necessarily to gain. It was just to maintain. So I think there's like a difference between your gain intensity days and your maintain intensity days, mainly that some days you want to be like, you're going to do a bunch of sets of intervals, but then on other times, maybe you do half the amount of sets of intervals, but you're still doing the same power and the same intensity. You're just kind of lopping off half of the number of intervals you're doing. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, I, w- I would kind of argue, you know, let's go back to the example you were talking about of cyclocross racer racing four, five, six weeks in a row. I mean, really, what, I mean, what better training are you going to get than those race days? So like, yeah. are you really going to get that much more out of an interval session than you're already getting on those two race days? Right. So that's, I mean, it would make sense to me why that midweek intensity session would just be more of an opener's day. Yeah. And just focus on endurance for a couple days in between the races. Yeah. Yeah. If I, if I were doing six weekend weekends of racing in a row, which I'm not, not even close. Um, I think that would be like a big change that I would make to my normal training from years past is not being so stuck in my way of like the mids, the midweek intensity day, uh, to, that, to not be afraid to just like minimize that or swap it out for an endurance ride. Yeah. And probably what I would do too is in that case, you know, Tuesday endurance ride, let's say Wednesday is your going to be your intensity or openers day. I'd probably stack those like at the end of a two or three hour endurance ride, you know, so that way you're getting quality endurance training in and then you're just getting like a little bit of openers Mm-hmm. for that midweek, uh, midweek workout to keep the legs fresh, but it's not hindering your, your endurance workout. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Nice. Sweet. Well, that covers our, uh, cyclocross talk for the season. All right. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's, uh, let's shut it down there. Thanks guys. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in for the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast. Like I said at the beginning, you can send any questions or topic suggestions to matchboxpod at gmail.com with email title the Matchbox Podcast. Links to each of our social media pages can be found in the show notes. Tune in next week for another endurance training-related discussion and learn more about how you can find that extra match for your next big event. Catch you all soon. Let's go!